Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to this week's Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what is making news this week. Chaz Mostert leads the Supercast points for the first time in his career. He didn't always look to have the best pace across the weekend at Sydney Motorsport Park, particularly in the dry, but ground out a third on Saturday and took an impressive win on Sunday. Shane Van Gisbergen had a wild weekend with a neat strategic win on the Saturday night before having to come from a lap down midway through Sunday's race to grab a remarkable sixth place. We'll discuss that more and hear from him later in the pod. Triple Eight has taken legal action against former race engineer David Couchy for allegedly not observing a gardening leave requirement as part of his exit from the team. Couchy is already working uh, in his new team principal role at Grove Racing. In other news, Stephen Grove and Ryan Walkenshaw have been appointed team representatives on the Supercars board. Now, there's been some confusion as to how this whole board thing works, even for people very closely uh, involved in the board, as I found out over the weekend. But to put it as simply as possible, there is a race board, which is focused on the investors, and a supercars board, which is about the operation of the sport. Uh, Grove and Walkinshaw will be observers to the supercars board, uh, a law which is made up of Chairman Barclay Nettlefold, John McMillan, Barry Rogers, and Mark Scaife. The makeup of the race board is still not completely finalised, it seems. I think there's a little bit more to play out there, so we'll see what happens in the fairly near future. The Super 2 Series kicked off in Sydney over the weekend with wins for Jalen Robotham and Zach Best. Zane Goddard will make his S5000 debut at Phillip Island later this month as part of a two-round deal with Team BRM. That also includes the Australian Grand Prix. And the biggest news of the week, the Castrol Motorsport News podcast took out the best radio show podcast for 2021 at the annual Supercars Media Awards last Friday night. Now, joining me this week to discuss all that uh, and much more is a teammate who I would always strongly discourage from doing a sick post-race drift, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, you magnificent award winner. How are you? G'day, Andrew. Good to talk to you. Looking forward to hearing about all your adventures in Sydney. You've really buried the lead there in the news headlines because you uh, picked up a couple of individual gongs at that uh, Supercars Media Awards. So well done on that. True to form, I believe you weren't actually planning on travelling to Sydney Motorsport Park at all, but as soon as you got a sniff that uh, there may be some individual glory in it, you were uh, straight on that plane crossing the country, which is uh, absolutely shameless, but obviously we love you for it anyway. Take us through that that whirlwind Friday of yours. I did genuinely wake up on uh, Friday morning with no intention of going to Sydney. I wanted to sort of let the old border thing over here in Western Australia simmer down a little bit before I got back on a plane, but... Uh, let's just say Grant Rowley, who organises the uh, the Supercars Media Awards and is a great friend of, of yours and of mine, he's a very persuasive person and a barrage of text messages he systematically 
found a solution to every excuse that I had and uh, I think I got the flight confirmation at 9.45 and I was on a plane by 11.45. Um, we were we were taken off from Perth Airport. So it was a whirlwind weekend, that's for sure, but it was um, it's always nice to pick up some individual awards. But I was genuinely just stoked that we won the podcast category because it was apparently very hotly contested this year and there are some great pods out there. I mean, given that we only kicked this thing off in October last year, that's that's that, that, that's pretty cool. And, um, and like, a huge thank you to you um, for your hard work on this, to our producer, AJ Hawkins, who does a fantastic job, and to all the, the Sleuth team for the work that we've put into it to sort of get this thing going and to be an award winner this early is uh, – it's pretty cool. It's a cool thing. So well done, Stefan. Congratulations to you. As much as I would like to uh, think that uh, the listeners enjoy hearing journos slapping each other on the back, <laughs> I guess uh, we'd better take that and move on. I think so. The new season is underway, the new supercar season. Uh, you were watching from home over the weekend, Stefan. How was the kind of the look and feel? Did it, did it have any sort of season opener vibes, you know, watching it from afar? Well, funnily enough, it was the first season opener that I wasn't at actually since I think 2011 when it was in Abu Dhabi. So uh, it was uh, definitely felt different to me in the week leading up. But clearly, I mean, it's not an ideal way to start the season uh, at Sydney Motorsport Park and especially after doing four rounds there late last year. It certainly didn't have the the atmosphere even coming through the TV of, a, of an Adelaide or or even Bathurst last year or um, Newcastle, which was the intention, um, and we all know why that got changed around. But considering the uh, events of the last week with um, with the flooding and uh, and all that sort of thing, there seemed a genuine chance that uh, the race weekend may not happen at all at one point last week. So, I mean, to get some racing in, in the end was probably a good outcome. And uh, a bit of rain on Sunday added uh, certainly added some spice to what otherwise felt like uh, two very very long races uh, around that joint. Yeah, I can tell you, like talking about flooding and that sort of stuff, it felt like on Sunday morning we weren't going to see a lot of racing. Like some of the um, some of the water logging around the circuit was unbelievable, and even when the track was dry, it was wet in spots. Like it just couldn't dry. There were rivers running across the track all weekend, even when the guys were out on slicks and effectively, you know, running in full dry. Conditions. I think for most people on the ground at the track, it really felt like Groundhog Day just being back at Sydney Motorsport Park. Like it couldn't have felt less like a fresh start to the season just because of where the race was. It was all right for me because I didn't go to any of the Sydney Motorsport Parks last year, but nobody else seemed overly impressed to be back there. So I don't think it's an ideal place to be kicking off the season at the best of times. And let's hope by next year we can sort of go to Newcastle as planned. You touched on the format briefly there, two 300-kilometre races. What did you kind of make of it? Yeah, as I said, I, I felt like the races uh, seemed to go on forever, but it's hard to be too critical because the the length of the races and the the mix in the format with with the two different tyres kind of does create those variables that you end up with a with an uncertain result. So, yeah, I, I sort of had mixed feelings on it in the end, but the the rain on Sunday certainly made that all. All pretty exciting. What was your what was your read on it? Yeah, pretty pretty much the same. I think mixed feelings kind of sums it up. I, I like a bit of strategic intrigue, and we definitely saw that on the Saturday night. But it still wasn't exactly a classic. I mean, at, in the end of the day, it quickly emerged who was on the right strategy, uh, and you know, Shane went and won the thing by twenty seconds. But Sunday's race was a beauty. You can't deny that. But obviously, the weather played a big part. 
um, in that as well. And they just, those races just go on and on. I mean, Sunday's race was two hours and 15 minutes. Like that's a long time to be sitting there watching something. And, you know, 300 kilometers is a typical Grand Prix distance and Formula One cars, you know, usually cover ground a fair bit faster. Um, I, I like two-stop races. I really do. I just think that that was a two-stop race that went a little bit too long. I know it brings the third stop into play, but it's just so complicated as well. And for like a casual sports fan, if you tuned in on Sunday Arvo and watched Neil Crompton trying to unravel all the strategic options on TV before the race, oh, I just feel like you're at risk of going, this is this is too hard. I, I just want to sit down and watch sport, not try to take some sort of, you know, maths class or engineering lesson. So that's kind of that that's kind of an issue as well. It, it might have been um it may, maybe like if you look at the dry weather race on Saturday night, perhaps if the if they'd gone with what the plan was, which was to mix the super soft with the hard tire, um, you might have created that bit bigger difference in the tire speed. There was already enough there. I think Dunlop were pretty happy with how that new super tire uh, super soft um tire did the job, but there obviously there was not a huge difference between that and the soft, the reason they couldn't use the hards was because they basically didn't have any. There's a supply issue because SMP was meant to be at the back end of the season, so the production plan was to have hards ready for that round later in the year. They couldn't get them ready for this early in the year, so they were basically using the softs that were allocated to Newcastle. So that might have made it. That might have made a bit more of a difference, but I just think they were probably just that 50 kilometers too long. I actually like the fact that there wasn't a huge amount of difference between the tyres, which was probably also a little bit the the weather condition as well, that it didn't dig really hard on the super soft. But yeah. it, it allowed you to actually see people on different tyres racing each other, where when it's hard and soft or hard and super soft, it's just night and day different that they just check out on the, on the quicker rubber. So. That probably, for me, if anything, um, was a good thing. But then sometimes, you know, with a super soft, like Shane was saying on the weekend, um, you just drive that thing slower. If you just drive to the to the grip of the tyre to make it last, then yeah. uh, it doesn't really make much difference anyway. And we saw a bunch of people set faster lap times on soft than the super soft, which was a yeah. bit bizarre too. Yeah, and that's what happens. And then it becomes, yeah, tyre. And, that, and that when it becomes tyre conservation, then it's, that's not great racing either. Let's get into the results. Uh, Chaz is the points leader for the first time in his career, which seems crazy, but that is the case. Um, he looked absolutely wrapped uh, after Sunday's race. I think the big thing is here that, like, Walkinshaws didn't really expect to have too much car pace at SMP based on last year. And I think they would have actually happily taken a mediocre weekend without feeling that their season was down the toilet. So to come out of SMP leading the thing is a, is a, um, massive result for them. What do you reckon, Stefan? Is this is this the sign that Chaz really is a genuine contender? Yeah, I think um, I think it was the first test, and they've they've passed it. Um, yeah, it's interesting when you're talking about the expectations of the team. I mean, when you actually look at it, this is the the seventh time that the Chaz Mostert, Adam Debore era of Walkinshaw Andretti United have raced at SMP. So there's not much excuse there to say, oh, no, that's that's one of our bad tracks. Don't worry about it. I mean, yeah. we know that they've tended to struggle with that team for so long on these medium to, to open radius corners. But if you want to win the championship, you've got to clean that stuff up. And they did sound... You know, a lot of people made positive noises after the fourth SMP last year about having, like, sort of finally cracked it. But we didn't expect that um, they'd all get tested on that so soon, right? Like, it was only yeah. a couple of months later that they actually uh, were put to the test. And as you actually said right off the top, like, 
the, the dry quality pace was not quite there for Chaz. But, um, yeah, I think um, considering he, he ended up with a third and a first and is leading the points, he's uh, he's ticked the box overall. And we'll see... We'll see if they can they can make it work at every track because there are um, I think when you look at the rest of the calendar there are seven circuits there that the Chaz and Adam haven't actually taken the Walkinshaw car to yet or at least raced on if you include Albert Park yeah. so they're, they're not alone in in that but um, yeah we'll see if this car they've they've developed can adapt to all corner types and if they still have the strength on uh, on the types of tracks that we've seen in the past. It's always so hard at this end of the season because we usually, okay, this year it was Sydney Motorsport Park, which is a very unique circuit, but Adelaide's the same. And then you go to Simmons Plains, which is a very unique circuit that, you know, Triple Eight always go really well at. And then you go to Albert Park, which is totally different again. It's always so difficult to really get a read on form this early in the season. But what I will say is it's just a great storyline that Chaz is leading the championship. You know, it's really good for the sport that he'll head to Simmons Plains with the orange with the orange numbers on his car that they're being shared around because, you know, all we did last year is see them on Shane's car. And that's nothing against Shane. It's just it creates a new storyline. It's something different to talk about heading to Simmons. Even if it ends up being short-lived, it's a it's a pretty cool thing. What did you make of Nick Perkett's first weekend as a Walkinshaw, well, back as a Walkinshaw driver? Yeah, I guess that was the, the disappointment in that garage is that um, Car 2 had a bit of a tough weekend. But to be honest, I don't think it was quite as bad as it looked. I mean, they obviously missed it in quality on Saturday. He was, he was 14th, but he drove it through to 6th in the race. So clearly the... The race pace was there, and then, you know, even though he made a mistake in Sunday qualifying and started at the back, he was actually running directly behind Chaz and on the same strategy on Sunday. Yeah. Um, when that incident happened with Scott Pye, which I don't think was really, really Nick's fault. So, yeah, it's it's a disappointing start, but I think uh, he shouldn't be too too downtrodden about it. What was your read? Yeah, I think I think the same. You know, a couple of mistakes, but you know he's got to sort of learn to drive this style. You know that style of car again. Certainly, some signs of, of promise. Apparently, for for the moment at least, there's a real bromance fl- uh, flourishing between those two guys. So um, that's sort of that's one of the pairings where there was maybe some potential for it not to be as harmonious as it could be. But at the moment, it's really good. We'll see what happens when when Nick starts bashing doors right at the front at some point. But um, but Chad said after the race that he can already see things in the data that he can learn from Nick, you know, that he feels like he's going to be pushed this year and that's a really, really good thing. And if he wants to go and win championships, that probably is a really, really good thing. What did you make of Shane Van Gisbergen's weekend? I mean, SMP is a bit of a bogey track for Triple Eight as well, as far as they have bogey tracks, a bit different to other teams. It means they're a couple of tenths off, not absolutely nowhere but he looked pretty happy to get that win on Saturday and Sunday's recovery from a lap down to finish six was remarkable yeah probably the the pace of that 97 car relative to say Anton was pretty similar to what you'd expect from from the SMPs last year in terms of being a couple of tenths off in in a dry quality but then yeah Saturday in the race like Shane his tire management was just sublime and to win that thing by 20 seconds doing an extra pit stop was uh, was extraordinary. But then Sunday was weird. I mean, it was it was odd that they didn't have the pace in that car in the wet and then he made an uncharacteristic mistake. And I think you've got to say he just panicked with that call for, for wets after he'd gone off. Um, and it would have been huge for Andrew Edwards, his new engineer, to overrule that. I mean, in the end, like when the driver calls for wets, it's really their, their captain's call on it because they... 
they're out there on the track. But in that situation, it's probably an irrational call because they can't see see the full radar and know what's going on. So it was just one of those deals. And then, yeah, you can never rule him out, can you? Like to uh, to drive through from a lap down, and it was no lucky dog. It wasn't uh, it wasn't given to him. They did it on merit by passing a few cars and then staying out under safety car. So uh, that was a mega recovery. Well, I grabbed Shane after Sunday's race and here's what he had to say about his epic recovery and the weekend as a whole. How did you pull that rabbit out of the hat in that race? Talk us through what went on there. Yeah, well, any result 21st to 6th is a pretty good salvage, but doesn't tell the story of what happened in between, but... It was um, pretty good. Pretty good. I did some shit driving at the start. Um, let the wrong people go and then made that error and went off. And then yeah. as it was starting to rain, I think because I went off and because it was wet down that end of the track, that's where the rain was coming from, I think I just panicked on the radio and then Andrew agreed to pit. And, you know, I don't have access to the radar, obviously, but yeah. I couldn't see that there was nothing more coming. But yeah. Yeah, so I made an error there going off and an error pitting for wets, which really put us a lap down and stuffed us but the thing that did salvage it was running the super soft yeah and um i had to take a bit of pain i didn't want to be in people's way and get blue flags Mm -hmm. but then i started pushing and passed unlapped myself from cars and like a lap before the yellow i passed courtney yeah who was the guy who stayed out and stuffed everyone else a lap down so having super softs on and being able to pass people was a good call and that sort of saved the race for us yeah so does it sort of feel like, you know, you, you talked about the fact that you, you've obviously, there's so much change in the team. You've got a new yep. engineer and there's so much, so much has gone on at this team. Yeah. Calls like running the super softs, even if you do go a step backwards, is that a sign that things are actually working? Yeah, no. With you guys? Like, and I yeah. mean, obviously Saturday's race yeah, well, is a great example. Yesterday showed that, like, it's still, we've got the same top guys, you know, Dado and JJ. And yeah. then Andrew's a top guy as well, but he's learning the processes and things are very different for him like engineering and leading a race normally he's doing it all himself not with assistance from guys his level or above so he's just learning with all these voices in his head and I think you just got to get used to the processes and the way we do things is quite different so Um, but yeah he's he's very sharp he's going to be going to be really good for us already proven that so yeah but yeah today today was mainly my fault digging us a hole and then for whatever reason at this track we've always been average yeah. my car on mixed conditions if it's dry or pure wet we're okay yeah. normally but in the mix I, yeah we're just nowhere really so it's a weird one that's, that's why we're qualified at the back yeah G- given that you've kind of this is not I mean bogey track for AAA means different to what it means <laughs> yeah. to other teams but you know yeah. you, you, you do potentially have a car speed deficit to some other cars here yeah to this, come this at- is my winningest track this is I don't know. Yeah. But so, like my, you know, I struggle. Whatever it is, long corners are never my strength or my car's strength. Yeah. But tire life is so. You know, qualifying. Back to you, yeah. Yeah. Yesterday in qualifying was the best lap I thought I could do, but we're still two tenths off. You know, yeah. that's at my car's limit. And then in the race, I'm faster than than him, yeah. but you're stuck. But yeah, I don't understand it. I don't enjoy this track, and I don't think my car likes it. But our pace is always good in racing. I don't. I don't know how it works. So yeah. you'd be, you know, can you be pretty happy with what you've come out of in terms yeah. of championship and that sort of stuff? You know, good salvage yeah. today. You're well and truly in the hunt, and yeah. you've probably got a bogey track behind you and going somewhere where Triple Eight are traditionally strong in Simmons Plains. Yeah, but I, at the moment I'm just pissed at myself for the first 15 laps. That was some shit driving. So I need to 
understand or yeah understand why like I think I was still panicking to get back on the track and then yeah. we were talking about wets as I was trying to get out of the mud so it would have looked pretty wet when you were <laughs> yeah that's the thing the you know, and I could see how much it was raining as I was struggling to get back onto the track so I don't know how I can be better in that except yeah. for not going off the track but yeah it's a hard one just to come back to some of the changes you know in the team you yep. spoke about AE um, what's it been like with, with Jamie's first official weekend yep. at the helm what's that been like yeah, pretty good. It's interesting. Like, I had some thoughts, and the person you go to is Jamie, where you're used to normally talking car stuff. And <laughs> yeah. Even we're talking car stuff the other day on Friday. You know, he's helping me with my driving and stuff. Like, it's weird. Not, you know, I, I don't think he's wanting to be the new RD quite yet. He's yeah. still taking things in and processes, and right, I see him writing a lot down and thinking a lot. And he had some ideas last night, but nothing's implemented yet. Like, yeah. he's still still trying to be a sponge to it all but it's um, been good to see it you know it didn't seem like he was missing not being in the car yeah and um, I think yeah he's obviously an asset to our to Brock and I but also the team as well it's um, it's been pretty good to see him doing it this way and what's it been like working with Brock so far as well yeah really good obviously the information is mainly coming one way yeah going one way but he's really open and you know, the enthusiasm, obviously, as it would be, is really yeah, cool yeah. and impressive. You know, both shootouts and good results and stayed on track all weekend. And, you know, you get bullied as you expect to be. But yeah. I think he's driving really well and it won't take long before he's up the front and racing too and knowing where to place his car better to yeah. stop getting pushed around. He yeah. seemed to really want to get his elbows out a lot more today. Yeah. Was that something that came up on Saturday night that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but Talk I saw, you know, you, you do that against a guy like Waters, and I saw Waters get him, and then Brock loses three spots. Yeah. So certain guys, you know, you just learn over time yeah. who to mess with and who not to mess with, <laughs> and then, you know, who you've got respect of and who you yeah. don't. Yeah, that yeah. just comes with time. Some interesting thoughts on Brock Feeney's debut weekend from Shane there, Stefan. What did you sort of make of his first proper outing as a AAA driver and as a, you know, main game supercars driver? Well, last week I said it was hard. He was the hardest one to place in our in our order of who's going to finish wearing the championship. And you said, no, nah, it's easy. He's going to be 10th. Don't worry about it. And I think he's 10th in the championship after round one. So uh, well, well done there. My, um, yeah, my uncertainty of it was whether he's going to actually be higher than that. Um, and I think it was no surprise to see on pace him make it into both shootouts. Um, but where he really impressed for me, was his race craft, like we've seen that, is uh, is a big step up from, from Super 2. And I just love the way he, he raced people, especially on Sunday. Um, he gave it back to people, but he wasn't silly about it. Um, yeah, and I, I just thought he settled in really well. Um, and it's just a great thing for the sport to have not only Brock, but Anton, Will Brown, Brody Kostecki, all these young guys right in the mix now. Brody um, probably needs a needs a shout out there as well. He was brilliant on Sunday, yeah. Um, and that was it, that kind of felt to me important to put a line in the sand there that he's not the number two to Will, like the sort of Will Brown show that developed in the back half yeah. of last year overshadowed him a bit. But he uh, he certainly made his mark on the weekend. Yeah, he definitely did. And you know, you, you rattled off all those young drivers there. It really is an exciting time for young drivers at the moment. And there's always a lot made of, you know, how the, the financial constraints of getting to the top and how difficult it is and how, you know, there's too many guys who just pay for their seats. But here we are with this crop of brilliant young talent, 
you know, on its way, either midway through its journey or on its way through the journey in supercars. And yeah, I thought Brock did a really good job on the weekend. I think it was exactly what I talked about last week, which is, you know, moments of absolute brilliance and looking like a real front runner. And then, you know, it's it's good that it takes time to adjust to the main game. It shouldn't be that easy, even in a triple eight car, to roll out and just brain everybody. So to see him sort of getting swept up in the rough and tumble a little bit, I think is a pretty positive thing for the sport. It just shows how competitive it really is. Um, how do you think Dick Johnson Racing are feeling coming out of that weekend? Like by no means a disastrous weekend for Anton Di Pasquale, uh, except for maybe post-race on Sunday, but we'll get onto that in a minute. But they would have surely fancied their chances of taking an early championship lead and particularly after, you know, in the dry you know dry quality pace on Saturday was just sublime. Yeah, I mean, deep down they might have been a little disappointed they didn't come away with a win, but a pole, two podiums, leading the team's title and Anton only 12 points off the championship lead on a weekend with the amount of variables there were. You know, you're running three different tyres on Sunday and three safety cars, all of that stuff. I don't think you can really say it's a bad weekend. And, yeah, it was important that they they didn't lose the quality pace that they showed at SMP last year and it didn't look like they did in the dry, at least anyway. So... Yeah, I think overall they should be pretty happy with it. Um, the only thing, as you sort of allude to, is uh, that in-lap crash that Anton had on Sunday was um, was pretty silly to do that while uh, drifting on the way into the pits and actually clout the wall. And on TV, he's, he sort of shrugged it off with, with a big smile and a bit of it's-all-good kind of stuff. And you don't want to be too critical because I'm sure behind the scenes he – was apologetic to the team, but um, yeah, just publicly, you'd probably like to see a little more contrition and a little bit more ownership of the mistake if he really is the the team leader in that joint. Um, I think they uh, they had to put a whole new corner in that car um, to get it back out for the ride day on uh, on Monday. So that's probably not what the boys wanted to do after uh, a pretty punishing weekend for the crews having to stay up so late on Saturday night uh, after that race, and then. Uh, have to fix damage on Sunday for no good reason. Yeah, I think um, I think behind closed doors he would have got a gotten a pretty stern talking to because, as you said, it was a really difficult schedule for the crews because they were at the track until the wee hours on on Sunday morning because of how late. I mean, that race went till nine thirty local time, um, and then it was just a normal day schedule, quite an early day schedule on the Sunday. So it was about as bad as the scheduling could possibly be for the crews. So for the guys doing ride days, and it was the same for Team 18, and we'll talk about that in a minute, you know, like they just ended up with damage they absolutely didn't need to have um, to fix on Sunday night when they could have been, you know, going to get some rest, you know, because they were operating on just a few hours um, sleep. I mean, that was – that was that uh, Frosty and uh, Todd Hazelwood thing was was pretty crazy as well. What was what did, what did you make of that? Well, on the TV, Frosty seemed disappointed that Todd was so apologetic because it meant they couldn't <laughs> have an actual scrap because uh, quite rightly, I think uh, Frosty was uh, was ready to either go the biff or at least uh, give him a fair verbal spray. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Todd is such a nice guy that you'd have to be cold-blooded to have a swing at him while he's apologising <laughs> to you so profusely. But the incident itself, yeah, it was kind of – there was a couple of little angles of it that came out eventually. And I, I – you can see in the footage that Todd does aquaplane there on, on the wet line on the inside, and I'm sure he was, uh, yeah, not meaning for that outcome, but whether he could have uh, backed out of it slightly earlier and whether the fact that um, Frosty had squeezed him towards the pit wall on the run of the chequered flag had sort of uh, 
influenced uh, whether Todd uh, got straight out of the throttle or pressed on for a little bit afterwards. Uh, I guess only the data will uh, will know. What was your read on it? Yeah, I mean, it was hard to tell without. So it was really interesting, you know, when the footage, when the when the camera first just shows, you know, Todd running up to the door, it was hard to tell. Was he giving him a spray or, you know, what had mm. happened? But um, Todd, um, Todd, Todd was very apologetic. I think he was pretty pretty embarrassed afterwards and he was very accepting of the fact that you know frosty maybe wasn't keen to accept his apology straight away because he said if someone had you know um speed into my door after the race i probably wouldn't have been all that impressed with him either so yeah it's the way todd sort of told it he had absolutely no control over the car from the moment he crossed the line it's really hard to tell like you say from the from the footage it's hard to tell whether that's the case or whether there was a bit more he could have done and obviously adrenaline was running high he was you know that was drag racing to the line he got a good run on frosty he thought he was going to have have a go at him but yeah i think whatever happened he was certainly uh he was certainly he was embarrassed which you'd expect and frosty was you know, upset, which you'd um, which you'd also expect. And I'm guessing there was a few team 18 crew running on a few hours sleep that weren't all that um, weren't all that impressed anyway. But good on Todd for going and saying sorry. And he actually went down. I found him hanging around at team 18, um, talking to Richard Holway and sort of you know trying to say to the whole crew guys, I'm really sorry for this and all that sort of stuff. So um, yeah. Now let's touch on. A bit of legal drama that's brewing in the paddock, Stefan. Triple uh, Eight is taking action against David Couchy for what it believes is a breach of contract uh, as he's not observed his gardening leave and he has started work for Grove Racing. There's no doubt about that. He's definitely working for them. Stefan, what are your thoughts on all this? Well, only those involved will know the, the full detail, but, I mean, the gardening thing isn't – gardening leave isn't – uncommon at all in these situations and we've seen it before with triple eight that uh you know your adrian burgess and grant mcpherson and and guys like that who have left have had six months out um which is is totally sensible to have that as part of your contracts for key staff that you don't want uh, your ip walking straight out the door into another team from what i gather and and mark scaife did allude to this in the broadcast but it sounds like the dispute is over whether the six months of gardening leave started when he handed in his resignation, mm-hmm. which yep. was supposedly in early August, um, yep. or, or if it started when he left, which wasn't until after Bathurst. And considering how that stuff has gone in the past with the gardening leave, I was a little surprised that um, Couchy did stay on and finish the season um, last year. But, you know, you could also see that, you wouldn't want to lose a race engineer off the championship leading car mid-year. So it sort of felt like it made sense. Um, But for it to have gone this far, both sides clearly think that they're uh, in the right. So unfortunately, only the the lawyers tend to to win these ones from here, Mm -hmm. which is a shame. And it would have been unsettling for him, no doubt, on his first weekend, not only changing teams, but he's, he's stepped up from an engineering role to a team principal position with a lot more responsibility. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he had a lot on his plate already, and then for that to drop as well was unfortunate, and it's just just sad really, isn't it, because um, he spent so long at Triple Eight, and, yeah. and these people are sort of painted as as duplicitous or, uh, or what have you when they leave, but, I mean, Triple Eight sort of, there was nowhere else for him to go there when they brought um, Jeremy Moore uh, back in from overseas as technical director and, and Dutto's entrenched there as team manager. Like, for these people to progress their careers beyond the role they're in, they need to, to look elsewhere. So, um, yeah, it's unfortunate that it's, that it's ended up this way. 
It is, and you know, obviously, it's it's really it's difficult to talk too much about it because it's an ongoing legal situation. But yeah, I think I think you're spot on with the you know dispute being over when the guarding leave technically started. There was off the record chat that you know he did offer to stop working when he handed in his resignation, but the team wanted him to keep keep working. You know, there's been talk about whether you know th- there was a dispute over uh, whether he'd be paid for another six months if he didn't start work. You know, the triple eight side of the story seems to simply be that, you know, he shouldn't be working right now. Uh, and he is, it's all, it's all pretty messy. The one thing I will say is that there's certainly, um, the Groves aren't trying to hide Couchy's involvement. He's not sitting back somewhere looking at a laptop, trying to help out. Like he's there front and center. So if there is a legal case to answer answer for, it's certainly an interesting approach because, you know, he was in the team and he looked like he was in good. I saw him, you know, bouncing around the garage a few times over the weekend. He looked like um, he's in pretty good spirits. I mean, you talk about the, the necessity of a guarding league thing and the importance of it in some roles. I guess in this role, maybe, you know, because he has moved to more of an operational role as opposed to actually engineering a car and, you know, the cars that grows run is an entirely different platform. They could be all arguments that the team used to try and say, well, this wasn't actually, you know, any, it wasn't actually that necessary. But yeah, it's a messy thing. And I guess we'll only know uh, once the lawyers properly get involved. And yeah, we'll see where it goes. All right, here's what's happening around the world. Alex Bowman won a Las Vegas NASCAR race that was decided in overtime. He got to the front by only taking two tyres at a late stop. Ania Bastianini took an emotional win for the Grassini Ducati squad at the season opening MotoGP race in Qatar. Now, what makes that win so emotional is that Fausto Grassini passed away from COVID-19 last year. Um, his widow, Nadia Padovani took over the team, and here they are, premier class race winners. Just a remarkable story. The new spec Ducatis, meanwhile, look pretty ordinary. Uh, Jack Miller slipped to the back of the field in the early laps before retiring after just seven laps. And Remy Gardner, making his MotoGP debut for Tech 3 KTM, finished 15th. Formula One world champion Max Verstappen has signed a five-year extension with Red Bull Racing that runs until 2028 and is rumoured to be worth around 50 million per 50 million euros per year, which is pretty handy. And, Ta- and Haas has terminated its contract with Nikita Mazepin ahead of the 2022 Formula One season as a result of Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. Okay, let's have a look in the Castro mailbag and see what we've got. This week's listener question is from David Steinveder. I've given that a nice little German pronunciation there. Uh, David asks, have you guys ever reported something about a driver and been confronted by them later? David, yeah, all of the time. That is uh, it's definitely an occupational hazard of being a journalist is that you upset people sometimes uh, and they will usually let you know about it um, via you know, any means of tear-ups, verbal ones, text messages, uh, it all uh, it all happens. So, um, Stefan, it's never quite got to the physical stage with you, but I think you've, you know, in your days as Speak Cafe's news hound and like the absolute breaking news guru, uh, I believe you copped a few stern words from people at times. Uh, yeah, you could say that. Obviously, I've, I've opted for a slightly quieter life these days uh, heading up the book projects at V8 Sleuth, but there's certainly a few... Uh, shall we say, suppressed war stories that uh, <laughs> we could spend the next uh, six hours uh, talking about. But, um, yeah, it's it's part of the game when you're, when you're breaking news and uh, certainly had some uh, 
had some hairy ones at Speed Cafe, and then when I was at supercars.com as editor there, the problem you have is um, people just go above you and get things pulled off the website if they don't like it, even if they're perfectly legitimate stories. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's certainly a thing. Ah, the fun politics of the padding <laughs> that we get to play with. All right, well, thanks now for that question. <laughs> it was a very good question. All right, now it's time for our Castro Stars of the Week. Stefan, hit me with your star, my friend. Well, my Castro Star of the Week is Jalen Robotham. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Super 2, and we don't talk about it enough on this podcast, but uh, 19-year-old kid, second year in the category with Image Racing, and he took his first Super 2 race win there on Saturday in pretty thrilling circumstances. Fourth on a safety car restart, and he managed to get his way to the front in five corners and, and drove away. It was um, it was very opportunistic and impressive driving. So uh, full marks to him. And actually, a little side shout out to uh, to Matt Charter as well for his uh, race two strategy there in Super Two. He was the only one on slicks in that race, and if that went full distance. I reckon he would have been a cheeky chance at snagging a win as well. So, um, yeah, a couple of stars there from Super 2 from the weekend. Well, now the season's going, we can definitely talk about Super 2 a lot more. I'm going to go with Chaz Mostert um, for my star of the week, and not because of his race results, but because of his very generous donation to those affected by the floods uh, on the East Coast in, in southeast Queensland and, um, and northern New South Wales. Now, there was this kind of strange story on the Supercars website on the Thursday, I think it was, before the race about drivers supporting flood victims, which ended up, when you read the story, was just about messages of support, which is, you know, fantastic. But Chaz really stepped up you know, properly and is donating all proceeds from his merch sales from the month of March to Food Bank to help out. I think that's a fantastic gesture and, and good on Chaz for doing it. Will Brown and Brody Kostecki took some action as well. They auctioned off space on their helmets for the weekend to help out the flood victims. They raised just under 25 grand, which was matched by Betty Clemenko to become uh, uh, around 50 grand. So that's a um, that was a fantastic result as well. Dakar winner Toby Price was actually madly trying to win that auction. And I think he got outbid when he jumped on a plane. He had to jump on a plane to go to Abu Dhabi and he got outbid um, while he was on the plane. But, yeah, look, good on all those guys for, you know, taking some messages of support are great, but those guys have really put their money where their mouth is and, and given something to people in need. Yeah, it's really good to see Chaz has done a few of those um, those charity things ongoing as well, um, and and so too Erebus. To to be fair, um, it was I was a little bit surprised that Supercars didn't um, really make a meaningful contribution. I thought they would have would have done something. I think it's uh, one of the responsibilities of a professional or sporting organisation like that is to. Um, you know, make a difference in the community, especially when it's needed. But I'm sure they uh, they had their reasons for that. They were flat out trying to get an event going, I guess. Um, yeah, but uh, clearly a tough, tough week for Australia with uh, Shane Warne's uh, death. Uh, news of that coming through very late Friday and Saturday morning. It, uh, that was certainly a shock as well. And I'm sure that was uh, felt through the paddock there at City Municipal Park. Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely a pretty hot topic of conversation. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast, and we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services. 
and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.